Are you ready for God's word? Amen. Amen. Let's get started. Today we start a brand new sermon series entitled Breaking Point. You go, Breaking Point? What does that mean? It means that every one of us are emotional beings and we have these emotional swings and these emotional pressure points and if we're not careful, we can reach a breaking point. Come on, how many of us have ever felt like, wow, this heat is taking me to a breaking point. This Texas heat is like, you know, it's so interesting because I got away with Pastor Melissa for a couple of days. We went out to San Antonio and we were on the river walk and some people that are not from Texas were commenting how this is for real. Because <laughs> incidentally, we stayed at the Hyatt and while we were at the Hyatt, there was uh, PFL was taking place, Professional Fighting League. And the PFL uh, contestants were all in our hotel and I got to meet some of the fighters and some of the fighters were talking to me and they're like, you know, we're from Brazil and we're from Florida and we thought it was hot there, but Texas, like this heat is real. I'm about to be at a breaking point, they said. This is about to really do some damage. This is, they just kept talking about the heat. I go, wow, we're tough, Texans. Yeah. And so uh, what I want you to know is it's not only the heat, uh, the temperature heat that brings you to a breaking point, but it's the emotional heat that the enemy tries to turn up in your life. And can I tell you, you're going to be at, the diff- as, at a disadvantage if you struggle with the topic we're talking about today. Today I want to I introduce the topic of battling doubt is the, is the title of this particular message. Battling doubt. If you're dealing with doubt, because one of the, the most effective tools that he has to take you to a breaking point is doubt. And so what he wants to do is he wants to introduce doubt into your life because doubt will erode the strength of your foundation and your ability to stand with truth and security and confidence. And once that starts to go, then he can riddle you with anxiety and he can come at you with uh, stress and anger and all the other things, but he starts with doubt. Well, pastor, why does he start with doubt? Because he knows that if you are secure in your relationship with Jesus, you can handle the rest. But once that starts to go, then you're going to try to put emphasis in your own strength. You're going to try to rely on your own understanding. You're going you're to say, well, I'm not too sure about my relationship with Jesus, but let me just fake it till I make it. And he knows that doesn't work. He knows that doesn't work. And so today I want to talk to you about battling doubt. And, then, and just, to, just so we'll know, that just so we know that we all need this message, I want to ask you a question. If you're a Christian and you've ever doubted your salvation at any point in your Christianity, any point, would you raise your hand? I want you to look around. Look, keep your hands high and look around. That's everyone. You know, it's been said that a lady came up to the great evangelist D.O. Moody and said, Pastor Moody, I want to tell you, not once in all my years as a Christian, she was an older lady too, have I ever doubted. And he looked at her and he said, ma'am, I doubt you've ever been a Christian. (laughs) Because to be a Christian is to be what? To have to face doubt. 
to have to face doubt. It's important. It's like the person that says, I've been married for 50 years, and in 50 years, we've never had an argument. I doubt you've really been married. Because <laughs> to be married is to argue. You say, Pastor, are you telling me doubt is good? I'm not telling you doubt is good, but it's necessary. Why? Because it's the mechanism that the Holy Spirit uses to shape things up, to get you back on course, to have you re-examine, reaffirm your commitment to Him, and to get your gaze firmly fixed on Jesus Christ again. Because that's the solution for doubt. Pain is necessary. Why? Because it keeps us from further harming ourselves. Well, doubt, if left unchecked, can lead you to destruction. So if you're dealing with doubt today, let's get it checked. Let's get it resolved and let's deal with it. You know, it's interesting because I do a lot of witnessing and when I witness to people, they give me different answers. And one of the answers they always give me is, well, um, you know what? I think I've been a pretty good person. I don't know if I need salvation because I think I'm going to stand before the Lord and he and I will just have a conversation and I'll let him know that I'm better than most. And then you hear another one that says, well, I hope I'm saved, but I have no idea if I could really ever know if I'm saved. You ever heard that one? I don't know if you can ever really know if you're saved. Do you know that's not biblical? Neither of those are biblical, by the way. First of all, no one's going to stand before the Lord. We're going to kneel. Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. But secondly, I want you to know that the Bible tells you you can know. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Listen to what these words say. Uh, what, the, what the great apostle John has to say to the church. Read this with me. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians. And he's saying, these things I have written to you. So he's giving you the purpose of his book. He's telling you the thesis of his book. Now this is interesting because this is the last chapter. So he goes through the book and then he lets you know, this is why I wrote. This is the very reason for 1 John. He says, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may, what? Continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So this is super interesting because what I find interesting is John always gives you his thesis. He always tells you why he's writing. Do you know why he wrote the, the, uh, the book of John? This is the epistle of John. This is 1 John, a letter he wrote. But do you know why he wrote John? Well, read with me. At the end of the book of John, in chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, he says this, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So watch this. He says, I wrote my first book so that you would know how to be saved. Now I write my second book so that you would know with confidence that you are saved. Isn't that awesome? Come on. Some of you are going like, I knew that. Come on. That's awesome. That's awesome that he would take his time to 
build up the church in this manner. So that tells us two things. When we look at 1 John and we, he says, I've written this that you might know that you're saved. It tells us two things. One, that you can be saved and know it. What's the second one? That you can be saved and doubt it. Isn't that true? Because if you couldn't doubt it, there would be no reason for the book. But because doubt is a real thing, he has to write. I'm writing to you so that you can overcome your doubt and know that you're really saved. Amen? So, one, you can be saved and know it. Two, you can be saved and doubt it. Well, pastor, how can I deal with my doubt? Since we've all admitted to having doubt at one point or another, how can I deal with it? It's in the word testimony. The word testimony is an interesting word because it's from the 1400s, and it's its origin is from the Latin, but it comes through, are you with me? It comes through the, the French language. And it can be broken up into two parts, testis and monia. I think I'm saying it right. Testis means a witness, one who attests, okay? What do they attest? It's proof or demonstration of some fact or evidence. You know what's interesting? Because the Bible uses the word evidence too. The Bible says, listen, that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is. And so here, testis means it's evidence, it's demonstrated, it's something that is shown or it's a witness. But now monia, the, the, uh, the suffix, literally means signifying action, a state of action, or a condition. It means this, that you are constantly in a state of demonstrating with evidence who you are and that you're saved. So it's in your testimony that you know if you're saved. You go, my testimony, okay, how about this? How about today we're going to talk about three tests of your testimony to see that you're saved, that you might know that you're saved straight from 1 John. Stay with me. The three we're talking about here today are faith, faithful, being faithful, being having a faithful testimony, fellowship, and fire. Faithful, fellowship, fire. Very, very simple, and it's all straight from 1 John. Stay with me on this. Listen to what he says about being faithful. He says, now by this we know that we know him. You go, why is this whole thing about knowing? What's the big deal about knowing? Well, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. On that day, what day? The day of judgment. He says, many will come to me. That's a big word, many. How many? I don't know, but enough to be concerned, right? Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and I will tell them, Depart from me, I never knew you. So to know God implies to have intimate relationship with him. And this is what John is saying. He says, by this we know that we know him, that we have intimacy with him. How do we know this? If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... Truly, the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. 
Okay, how do we know that we are in him? Well, it says to keep his commandments. If we do not keep his commandments, we are a liar. Okay, so it sounds like keep his commandments or don't keep his commandments. We keep his commandments, we're his. We don't keep his commandments, we're not his. Now, let me ask you another question. Anyone broken one of the Ten Commandments in the last year? (laughs) How about, do you know Jesus gave 50 commandments in the New Testament by some scholars? Others narrow it down to like 20 to 30. Jesus said all kinds of things, and, and they were commandments. And so, any commandment breakers of Jesus' commandments in the room? Okay, so if I'm, if I'm reading this right, that means we're over here. Okay, Pastor, if you were going to help me with my doubt, it's not working. <laughs> it's not working. No, no. Watch. It's right there in the word keep. The word keep, do you see it? I've highlighted it for you. I've made it bigger because that word in the Greek is a mariner's navigation term. What do you mean by mariner's navigation term? The way you would navigate and chart your courses by the stars, and you would keep your eyes on the stars, and the stars represent what? God's word. God's word. This is what John is saying. Keep your eyes on the commandments, the word of God. So this is what you do. I chart my course by the word of God, and I walk and I check the Word of God, and I walk and I check the Word of God, and I live and I check the Word of God, and I live and I check the Word of God, and I come to a decision and I, come on now, check the Word of God, and I come to a particular circumstance, and I, and I have a certain desire, and I check the Word of God. Everything I do is by the Word of God. That's what it means to keep your, now watch, As a mariner, does that mean you're going to chart a perfect course? Yeah, if you have this modern instrumentation, but if you're doing it like they did in the past in the ancient world, you might go off course a little bit, but you're keeping your eyes on the prize. And if you keep your eyes on the prize, you get back on course. And then you might get blown off course by a storm in life, but you come back. You might get distracted because your kids are talking, and you, oh, Do you hear what I'm saying to you? It does not mean, oh, I could care less about God's word. I think I'm going to do it my way. That's why Jesus said, if any man care to be my disciple, he must die to himself and keep his eyes on me. Amen? Come on. Give praise to the word of God. Come on, let's praise his name. Father, we love you. But there's more he says about this because we've got to deal with what his word is saying here. He says in 1 John chapter 6 verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 3 verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoa, wait a minute, pastor. You just set my heart at ease. Now you're, you're stirring it up again. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. All right, let's go to verse 8. Let's see if it gets any better. He who sins is of the... For the devil has sinned from the beginning. 
For this purpose, the Son of God has manifest, was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So now you're telling me, if I sin, I do not belong to him, because if we sin, we belong to the devil? No, Pastor, we're going in the wrong direction in terms of dealing with doubt. Any sinners in the room? Just, just making sure, any sinners in the room? I'm talking to, to just myself. Let's see if verse 9, no, I think verse 9 gets even worse. <laughs> Read with me. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. Whose seed? Capital H, his seed, God's seed. What seed is that? It's the Holy Spirit, but we'll come back to that. Remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Wait a minute. You just undid the whole idea of keeping. No, no, no. We got we to gotta read the word of God in its context. In order to get context for this, let's go back to the beginning of the, of the, of the book. Read with me in the beginning of the book. Chapter 1, verse 8. Watch what he says there. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Sounds like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. No, he doesn't. I'm going to explain it. It's going to be crystal clear. But watch what he's saying. If we say we don't sin, we deceive ourselves. Meaning we all sin, right? Because when you're keeping navigation, you're not going to keep perfect. Something's going to fall off, but it's going to bother you, and you're going to correct. And you're going to, and you're going to correct. And you're going to keep correcting and keep correcting. You're going to get better and better and better and better and better at it as you gain experience. As you learn how to walk out this thing called faith, right? But watch what he says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He goes on in the very next chapter because this is the end of chapter uh, one. In chapter two, he says this, my little children... These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen? Yeah, come on. Jesus Christ is our advocate. But I'm going to share with you even something deeper. Go with me back to chapter 1, uh, verse 8. Watch what he says. He says there, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Go back up, back, back to where we were. Chapter 1, verse 8. You don't, you don't see it? There it is. Chapter 1, verse 8. Yeah. Very good. Thank you so much, Jesse. So, so watch what he says. If we, I love that, that, that pronoun, we. This is the great apostle who God said was his beloved. And he's saying, if we say we don't sin. So he's saying, hey, look, I keep my eyes on the, on the prize and I do my best. But, but isn't this awesome? So, but what is this idea about, about what he just said in chapter 3? Well, go back with me to chapter 3, 6, and 9. He says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. 
He who practices, not, oh, I fell. No, I practice it. This is how I walk. I walk in the hardness of my own heart. I don't need Jesus. I do my own thing. I live in sin. If you live in sin, I'm being honest with you, the Bible says you should doubt. And you have good reason to doubt. Because you've made it a practice. Come on, let's just get serious for a minute. When I said you've received the seed, that seed is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about it here in a second. Check out his first name. His first name is Holy. Let me say it over here. His first name is what? Holy. Holy. That means holiness is important to him. It should be important to You say, but pastor, why are you telling me this? Because I want you to walk in real confidence. Real confidence. And the first test is to be faithful. To be faithful and to navigate by the word of God and to keep your eyes on the prize and to keep your life moving in the faithful direction of Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. The second test is fellowship. Watch what he says. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of all sin. So we're walking in faithfulness. And when we walk in faithfulness, we walk in fellowship. What does that mean? It means we love our brothers. We don't only love our brothers, we unite with our brothers in fellowship. Fellowship is a community. Fellowship is a we need one another. Fellowship is saying, you know what? I can't live without my family because my family gives me context and purpose. And it is in that purpose that I work out what it is to be Christ in this world. Amen. Listen to what else the Bible says right here in 1 John chapter 3. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so this is super and super important. Why? Because it's another test of you knowing that you are, you are saved. What's the first test? I walk in faithfulness. That doesn't mean that you earn your salvation, but because I'm saved, his commandments mean something to me. Because I believe, I want to honor him in faithfulness, right? And because I'm saved, I can't, I can't help but love the family of God, amen? I can't help but love the family of God. I know they're hard to deal with sometimes. I know it's tough. I know. But you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way because it's in that toughness. It's in that mess, mixing it up. It's in that learning to forgive and learning to deal with my brothers and sisters that I become more like Jesus. Amen? I become more like Jesus. And can I tell you, I'm part of that mess that he's making into a message. He's making into a message. Whoever, chapter 5, verse 1 says this, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. Watch. Everyone who is saved, that's what he's saying in the first part, loves the one who gave the son. 
And not only loves the one who gave the son, but loves the son. Do you see that? You go, but what does that have to do? Of course I love Jesus. Well, do you realize that loving Jesus means you love his body? Means you love his bride? Let me put it to you another way. Come on, stay with me. How many of us have ever heard someone say something like this? You don't have to go to church to worship God. Isn't that true? That is so true. You don't have to go to church to worship God. But can I tell you where it goes? It becomes false when they, when they think or they add this to it. You can worship God just as good without church. False. You know why? Because the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. The Bible says this, that where two or three saints gather in his name, he shows up. Not where one saint. Do you realize also that the New Testament never uses the word saint? Never. Uses the word saints. Plural. Isn't that significant? Notice how Jesus taught us to pray. Not my father, but our father who art in heaven. He taught us to for, ask for forgiveness of our sins. That's getting back on course and helping us to forgive others. You know what I found very, very interesting? That people that have trouble with the church have trouble with their salvation. And this is how typically those that have trouble with the church have unforgiveness. Yes, I realize the church hurts people because we're messy people. We all have our hang-ups and things that we deal with and struggle with. And when we rub up against people, sometimes it brings hurt. But Jesus says, as I forgave, I want you to learn to forgive. But when you don't forgive, watch, it stops the flow of forgiveness. There's parables in God's word that says, if you don't forgive your brother who you can see, how can you expect to receive forgiveness from God who you can't see? And so inevitably when I'm counseling someone and they're struggling with their faith and they're struggling with their confidence and assurance of salvation, I'll ask them, tell me about some of your deepest hurts. You don't have to get specific, but, but what was the context? When did it take place? And have you forgiven? And inevitably they always say, no, I haven't forgiven yet. It's been hard. And I say, that's why you're not feeling forgiven from the Father. Because you're not allowing that to flow and the enemy has stolen your confidence because he has kept you from extending forgiveness that you might receive forgiveness. Amen? You go, but then what do I do? How do I get over this hurt? This is my advice. My advice is, Lord, I, I choose this day to be obedient and to forgive. I don't know how. Will you help me? Will you help me? Because at the end of the day, that's the fire, but we haven't gotten there yet. What I want to share with you is this. This fellowship testimony or component is about Jesus Christ, the, the one who begot. The begotten is Jesus. You've got to love the Father and the Son. And if you love the Son, you love his body. If you love the Son, you love his bride. Hello. Come on, the Bible says no one ever hated their own body. Someone who was, who was well put together and walking in health, in emotional health, they don't hurt, they don't hurt their own body. Jesus is a healthy, the, the picture of health. He's not going to hate his church. That's his body. Well, you can say, but pastor, I love Jesus. I just don't love his body. Don't make no sense. That's like saying, I love Raquel's head, face, the, this part. 
but I don't like her body. That makes no sense, does it? How about this? How about if I were to call Manuel up here? Come on up here, Manuel. And I were to do this to him. Stand right here. He's a tough guy. I go, mmm. And then I go, mmm. And I go, mmm. And then he would say, what? Stop that. And what if I said, if I did it just like that? No, I'm not going to do it again, man. And I did it just again, and I said, I'm not hitting you. I'm hitting your shoulder. He'd say, that's ridiculous. My shoulder is a part of, therefore, stop it. Right? Sometimes we go, mmm, to the church with our words, with our actions, with our attitude, and we tell Jesus, but I'm not hitting you, Jesus. That's just your, that's just the pastor. That's just David. That's just so-and-so. That's just the worship team. That's just, there's no separating. Jesus is saying, no, watch. When Paul was on the way to Damascus to persecute the church, what did Jesus say to him? Saul, why do you persecute my little finger. It's ridiculous. He says, why do you persecute me? Me. How about this? What if I said, Manuel, I really love you, but your, your wife, I... <laughs> How would that work? It wouldn't work well. It would not work well. Is there any man that we need to pray for that that would work with them? I got to say that we need to pray for because that's not the natural order of things. I don't care how old I am. The word, you want to get my attention, start beating on my body or start disrespecting my wife. You disrespect my bride, I may not be as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I, <laughs> as I ever was, right? And the Lord give me the strength. I'll try my best to put you on the ground because you're not going to disrespect my wife. Can I tell you, some of us want to respect Jesus, but disrespect his. No, love his bride. I, I decided a long time ago, listen, I'm a PK. You can't get through being a PK without being hurt. You're going to be hurt over and over and over by the church. But I decided a long time ago, Lord, I love your church. Why? Because I'm a part of it and you gave your life for her and I love her. It settles it. It's done. I love her. I know I've been hurt. I know I've seen some horrible things. I know I've seen uh, things that the church has done they sh never should have done, but that's why you died. That's why you came. That's why you love us, because we need you. We need you. We need you. And if we were perfect, we wouldn't need you, but we're not perfect, and we desperately need you. Desperately need you. And notice I say we, because we're all a part of his church. Amen. So the last test the last test, well, before I read the last test, let me read Hebrews. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So we help each other, don't we? Not forsaking the, assembly of, the assembling of ourselves as some have become, have, have formed a habit of doing as in the manner of some, but exhort one another. Now watch this. Much the more as you see the day, what? So as you see all this crazy talk and prophecies being fulfilled, you should want to be in the church even more. 
This is one of the antidotes for deception. Now, this is where we finish. We finish with fire. You go, what is fire? Well, read with me 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe in God, oh, excuse me, who does not believe God has made him a liar. So let's read it again. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. You say, okay, Pastor, it sounds like there's a witness. And it sounds like I received Jesus. And now I have Jesus. And that makes all the difference. That's exactly what he's saying. Stay with me on this. Because I'm going to drop down. Not, I'm not going to read 13 right now. I'm going to go to Romans. I, did, I didn't do this in the, in the first service. I'm going to go to Romans because I want you to read what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Because when you receive Jesus, that's the witness that he is the Son of God. He came to bear witness that he was the Son of God, that he conquered death, and he is the way to the, to the Father. Right? And when you receive Jesus, watch what happens. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. But how does the Spirit of God bear witness with us? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Okay, so you're telling me that the Spirit bears witness. And how does he bear witness? He leads us. But not only does he lead us, watch what the next Romans verse says. In verse 9, it says, But you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells where? Where does the Spirit of God dwell? I want everyone to pay attention on this. The Spirit of God only dwells in you if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's right there. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not, capital H, his. No, you're not a child of God. You still are led by your own spirit. His spirit comes into you and bears witness to your spirit. Hey, that's not the way, that's not the direction we're going. The direction we're going is based on. I can show you that in the book of John, Jesus says, I won't leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send you a helper and he will dwell in you and he will lead you based on my word. And so he leads you based on the word of God. And this is why John, I'm going to go back to John, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things I have written you, you who believe in the name of the Lord, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life in Him. So watch. The Spirit of the living God is the fire in you that directs you. The spirit of the living God is what brings you under conviction. 
What is conviction? The spirit and the fire of the living God is what burns bright in you and says, I don't want that sin to remain. The spirit of the living God is what says, that lifestyle is not Godly, it needs, to, it needs to be removed. It needs to be done away with. You need to come out of the world. You need to walk in holiness. This is why I made such a big deal. Are, we, are you with me? When we talked about Andy Stanley excusing the LGBT lifestyle in his church and saying you can get baptized, you can be saved, you can go to heaven, and you never have to change. It's contrary to the word of God because Jesus, the apostle uh, John, the beloved of Jesus, just said you can't practice sin and be okay because you have a witness inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit that calls you to more. But it's hard. Guess what? All of our sin is hard. But you nail it to the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you conquer it. You conquer it. Oh, but I was born this way. Yeah, I was born a little sinner too. Come on, anyone else born a little sinner? Someone said, but it, but, but it just comes so natural. It came natural to me. Oh, no, you don't understand, Pastor. I never liked sin. Come on, you were doing it wrong. If you didn't like sin, you were doing it wrong. Sin is enjoyable. That's what makes it so powerful. But by the by the glory of the Spirit and the fire of the living God burning inside of you, he changes your heart towards it. Now I don't find it enjoyable at all. But when I was a little sinner, I loved it. You don't do something you don't love. God said they loved the darkness because their deeds were evil. That's Jesus said that. And guess what? I bear testimony to that because I was. I was a little sinner. And we try to say things like, no, 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 no. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to doubt. I tell you, you're saved. Who cares what I say? What does the word of God say? The word of God tells you if you're saved. And he gave you three tests right there. Number one, faithful walking by the commandments, keeping your eyes on the prize. Number two, the fellowship of believers, loving your brothers, loving his body and loving his bride. And number three, the fire of the Holy Spirit that bears witness inside of you and makes you saved. Now, this is where we finish. When I go out witnessing and I used to go out and invite people to this church, I'd knock on doors and I'd, I'd ask them about their walk. And inevitably, I always run into people that say, oh, yeah, I don't go to church anymore, but, but I belong to old First Baptist or I belong to this Pentecostal church up on the hill or I belong to this. And then I go, when was the last time you were there? Oh, I don't know. Maybe um, been a few years. I said, before or after COVID? Oh, it had been a while before COVID. Well, and it was COVID that kind of discouraged me. I said, I thought it was before COVID. And, and they go, but, I said, so I, I always think, man, this guy needs to get saved. He has no desire for the church. He needs to get saved because the boss of Paul, I mean, John tells me what? He's not saved. So I start witnessing to him, and lo and behold, they'll say something like this. Oh, now let me stop you right there. I'm saved. I'm saved. I know who I believed in. In fact, I was nine years old. I was 10 years old. I was eight years old. I can tell you the time and the place and the preacher and all this stuff. Nowhere in God's word does it tell you that that's the test of salvation. Nowhere. If you can remember the time and the place and, and, and you know what they were playing on the organ, great. 
Great, but that's not the test of your salvation. The test of your salvation is what I just gave you right here from the word of God. Notice what the Bible says. Those who believe, not believed. Believe. Those that love the brethren, not loved the brethren. Those that keep, not kept his commandment. The best test of your salvation is that you're sitting here right now and the fire of the Holy Spirit is burning bright saying, I want more for you. I want more for you. Come on and follow me deeper. Come on and get to know me closer. Come on, let's get into relationship. Amen? I love you, church. I love you with all my heart. And that's why I preach the truth to you because I'm tired of the enemy messing with us with doubt. Stand firm and know whom you have believed in. And be persuaded. Like the Apostle Paul says, I'm confident that he started a good work and he's faithful to complete it. Philippians 1.6. I'm not who I was. And I'll be far greater than who I am. By the power of this Holy Spirit, he's changing me. He's changing me. I love you. I need one more minute. I have to do this. You may be here today and you might be saying, Pastor, I, I, for me, it's not just doubt. I know now that I'm not saved. I, I feel it. I, I, I could not pass those tests. So today I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I see a hand back here. I see another hand. I see hands. Amen. I see hands. Wonderful. Wonderful. I see a hand. I see hands. Anyone else? I see another hand back here. Well, the Bible says that believe in Jesus means that you profess your faith in him and say, Lord, you are the Son of God. And so right here, right now, just say, Lord, you are the Son of God, and I receive you as my Savior and my King. I'm done living for myself. In this moment, I turn from my sin, my I attitude, and I give you everything. My life, my soul, my spirit, my future, by your Holy Spirit, set me free and make me yours. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. And it will be my pleasure to honor you through eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer or have ever prayed that prayer, would you celebrate with us? Father, we know that it was your body that was broken, and we say thank you. Your blood that was shed. Forever grateful, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week.